Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. How many of you guys like playing cards? You guys? Y'all like playing card games? Anybody play cards? Yeah, I'm your pastor, so I don't advocate for gambling. Okay, not those kind of cards, but I just mean hanging out with friends, playing cards. Maybe um, when you were kids, you like to play. When... Uh, Maybe playing with your kids. How many of you guys enjoy playing cards? Let's see if I can get a shuffle here. I don't know if I can do it. It's been a while. There we go. Look at that. Okay. You like playing cards. What is the goal of pretty much any card game? Right? Most card games, what is the goal? At the end of the game, you want to get rid of all your cards. So you add them up at the end, and the person who has the least amount of cards wins. So you want to get rid of all the cards by the end. Now, let's compare that to say... The American dream. What is the goal of the American dream? To get all the cards. The more cards, the better. Right? So I, I gotta get all of the cards. These are my cards. I've earned them. I deserve them. I can do what I want with the cards. Nobody can talk to me about my cards, um, but I, I'm gonna look at your cards and I say, hey, uh, those people have more cards than me. Right? That's not fair. So the goal of the American dream is to, to get all of the cards. And every Christmas, every holiday, what do we do? We go out and we buy more cards. Marketers, advertisers, they know us. They think about our money more than we do. And they know how to get us to buy into all of the advertisements and what's happening. And so every holiday, it comes around and we fall for it. We go and we buy the cards. And this is what they say. They say, this card, this card is new and improved. I know you have that other card, right? But you need this card. This card is the card you want. This card is the card all of your kids want this Christmas. And if you don't get them this card, then you're a bad parent and all of their friends are going to laugh at them. You need this card. This card you can lease for 36 months, 3000 down, $2.99. Right? That's a great deal. You need this, this card. This card is curved. Right? This card has Wi-Fi. You need this card. And so what do we do? Every year we buy, we spend all of the cards. But what if the kingdom of God is backwards? What if the goal of life is more like a card game? And that at the very end, we don't want to get caught with all the cards. <laughs> this is what Paul's teaching us in every good work. That all of our lives is to be spent stewarding all of our finances, all of our dollars, all of our days, our time, our treasures, and talents, and investing them in the kingdom of God. This is what Paul is teaching us as we, as we look at 2 Corinthians 9. So what he's teaching us is this, that generosity makes us the most like Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave. And the, the greatest gift that God gives us is Jesus. That whosoever believes in him will have eternal and everlasting life. The greatest gift that God gives us is himself. So God is gracious, God is good, God is generous, and God is a giver. And all of 2 Corinthians is teaching us this. And so let me ask you a question. The question we've been asking ourselves is this. Are you a generous person? Am I a generous person? How would you answer that question? If I had to answer it, I would have to say no. Me, personally, not naturally, I'm typically just not a generous person. 
And so what God has done is in his grace, he surrounded me with people who are generous. I was raised by my grandparents, and my grandparents, very hardworking, very generous people. And I remember being a kid, they, they would teach me the value of generosity through the tithe. I remember being, you know, seven, eight years old, and I'd get my little $5 allowance, and I'd take 50 cents aside, and they'd say, bring this back to children's church, and that will be your tithe. They taught me from a very uh, early age the value of generosity. But I still didn't learn it, so God, in his grace, allowed me to marry a beautiful, generous woman who's pushed me and challenged me to, to continue to practice generosity. And so my prayer, my hope is that alongside my grandparents, my wife, you and I, we can create a legacy of generosity for our children, that we can pass down a legacy of generosity for our children, for our church, and for our city. Amen? Does that sound good? And so what Paul is working on us is this, is are we generous? And I'll tell you that this series has, um, has proven to be a little challenging for us. It's been a little challenging, especially for me being able to preach it. Now, I thought Habakkuk was going to be challenging when we, we did that, um, but I, I loved Habakkuk, and I, it was really fun for me to be able to dive in and preach to it. Um, but this series has proven to be a little bit more challenging, and challenging so for a couple of reasons. First is, no one likes talking about money, right? That's just, that's just a fact. Nobody likes talking about money. I, I, I read an article um, it said that the, the least or the least likely or the most dreaded conversation that anyone to have is about their finances. People would rather talk about religion and politics, which is pretty much what anybody talks about these days, than talk about their finances. And the other thing it said that, that people would rather plan their own funeral than make a budget. Okay, so here's what we did. We made budgets available for everybody. And so you can download them online. They're available at the Connect Desk for you to make a budget, plan your funeral, whatever. That's what we're doing as a church. And, and because Jesus never shied away from talking about money. About a quarter of Jesus' ministry was spent talking about the way we steward our lives, the way we save, the way we spend. About a quarter of his ministry was spent talking about that. So, so if I were to preach like Jesus, then you know, one time a month I would sit here and we just preach about money. And so people say, why, why, why does the church have to talk about money? Because Jesus knew that it was such an important part of our lives and it would be the thing that we worry about, the thing we stress about, and it would be the idol in our hearts that would separate us from God and others. And so Jesus attacks the idols of our hearts through stewardship and discipleship. So Jesus talked about money, and so we talk about it as well. The, uh, the other reason that it proves challenging is this. Is, um, is, is I've read, um, when we preach, we preach like here, if you're new here, I preach in a way that's called expositional preaching. So basically, I just open up the Bible and we just work through verse by verse. Uh, oftentimes, we pick books and we spend a lot of time working through books or major sections and chunks of scripture. And my hope is just to expose the big idea of the text and let the Bible do the talking. And, and the reason that's challenging for a, a subject such as generosity it's because I'm trying to stick very close to what the scriptures and texts say. I want, whenever you hear this, that you know it's God's words, not my words. And so the challenge with that is that there are so many people, I've read you know, books, I've listened to tons of sermons, and, and people preaching on subjects such as tithe or giving or our money, and it's unbiblical. And it's like they just come up with their own ideas and they pick and choose certain verses to try to get you to, to bribe you with the blessing, to guilt you, to manipulate you. But that's not my hope. My hope is this, that we're just open up the Bible and then we're going to let God do the talking. 
And so that's what we've been doing here in this section. That's my hope. That's my prayer. And so through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul's teaching us 10 values of generosity with the church of Corinth. So the first week, what we looked at was the nature and character of God in light of the poor, the hurting, and suffering in the world. So we looked at the why we give. So God's glory would be on display through our generosity. Last week, we looked at the how we give or God's work in the church, that, that it's God's people responding to the promises of God for those around them. And today, what we're going to be looking at is God's work in our life through our generosity. Now, I saved this part or this big idea um, for last because I, I know um, I want you to be able to give for the right reasons. That Yes, there are blessings that follow from our generosity, but I want for us to be able to, to give for the right reasons. We don't, um, we, we don't give to get. We get to give. We don't give so that God will love us. We give because in Christ God already has. We don't give so that God will bless us. We give because in Christ he already has. That Jesus is our greatest treasure and we respond with the grace of God through our generosity. And that's super important for us to remember as we dive into this section. And so the, the first or the seventh point that Paul is going to teach us is this, that generosity benefits from friendly competition. This is what he says in one. Now it is superfluous or unnecessary, Paul used some big words, for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. Paul's reminding them, hey, whenever you signed up, you joined the team. Whenever we planted this church, you were excited about what, 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 what God was wanting to do, and you made a promise, and so we're going to collect on that promise. Paul's reminding them that, that love is more than what you say, but ultimately love is what we do. Paul's not calling and raising awareness. Paul's calling them to action. He says, I'm collecting the ministry of the saints, um, saying that Achaia have been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. I love this. Listen to what Paul says. I just think it's so interesting. He says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange the gift in advance that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. And do you see what Paul just did? Paul, so it's, Paul says, hey, you promised you're going to give a gift, but you haven't given it yet, so I'm just sending people to go ahead and collect it before you do. Like, could you imagine what that would be like for us? We're like, whoa, you're just, hey, you just signed me up, and I'm not ready. Paul says, get ready, I'm coming. We're going to collect the gift. Hey, what Paul, we need to back it up just a sec. What's happening in the ancient world at this time is there is an extreme famine all across the ancient world. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians, a church that he planted, a church that he pastored, and he's writing to them to respond to the needs of the hurting and suffering in the world. And so the church of Jerusalem, which is the mother church of all of the churches, uh, the church of Jerusalem is completely devastated. A famine has destroyed the church. Lots of people are starving. Lots of people are dying. And the church is in ruins. And then he introduces the church of Macedonia. The Macedonians were in the, the southern um, area of the day, and they were in severe affliction and extreme poverty. So all of the ancient world was suffering, but the Corinthians, they weathered the storm pretty well. 
because the Corinthians were located in the north, they, they, didn't, they didn't take the economic devastation as, as rough. Now, maybe they couldn't upgrade to the iPhone 7, but all in all, they were doing okay. And so Paul's writing to the Corinthians about the suffering that's happening around the world. And he's saying, hey, we're going to give a gift to meet the needs of others. And what Paul's doing in this section, I don't know if you noticed this, but he's bragging on the Corinthians to all of the other churches. So he's going to the churches in, in Jerusalem and Macedonia. And he's saying, you guys would not believe what God is doing in the church of Macedonia. I mean, in the church of Corinth, rather. He's saying, people keep meeting Jesus. The church of Corinth is growing. Their serve team is doing well. The church of Corinth is doing amazing. And so the Corinthians, they're going to give. They've said they would. They're going to step up and, guys, they're going to meet our needs. So he's going to the church of Jerusalem and Macedonia, and he is bragging on the church of Corinth. Now, the Corinthians are a lot like us. The Corinthians, as a church, are, are, are young. They're, they're new believers. Um, they're they're you know, renewed believers. Uh, they're, they're urban. They're arty. They're cool. They're very gifted, very talented. So the Corinthian church is probably a lot like our church. However, there's a lot of things that they're still trying to learn to trust God for. And they are not yet disciplined when it comes to matters of stewardship, discipleship, or in their finances and generosity. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians, bragging then about the Macedonians. And he, he talks about these people who are poor and impoverished. He says that they are in severe affliction and extreme poverty. And how do they respond out of their affliction and poverty? In, in chapter 8, he says, they respond with overflowing joy and abundant generosity. So Paul writes to the church of Corinth he bragging on the Macedonians as an example for what we should strive to be like. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He's creating competition between the two churches. He's saying, I want to see who can outlove, outserve, outgive each other. He's creating competition between the churches. Now, some people say, oh, competition, that's a bad thing, right? We can't have competition, right? I mean, what is it going to do for someone's self-esteem? Competition? Can't everyone win? Well, sure, I, I guess. Uh, but he's not talking competition, you know, like first prize giver, or we're going to put your name on a plaque or anything like that. He, he's not creating some varsity, junior varsity thing, but he, it is a competition nevertheless. And he enters them into this challenge because here's the deal, that when you give, everyone wins. When you give, everyone benefits, everyone wins. You never lose when you are generous, you actually gain. You never lose anything, but you gain everything. You gain character, you gain joy, you gain confidence, you gain community, you gain credibility. When you give, you always gain. And so confidence and competition in this matter, they tend to go hand in hand. And Paul is bragging on the church of Corinth. Okay? I'm going to tell you guys, I brag on you all the time. I brag on you guys all of the time. I go and tell my friends and say, hey, you will not believe what God is doing in our church. Man, you know, we have people who keep meeting Jesus. We've baptized, you know, almost 30 people this year. Our serve team's growing. We got missional communities that are serving, that are loving, eating good food. Our church is amazing. I brag on you guys all the time. And that's because I have confidence in what God has called us to do. I have confidence in what Jesus has placed us here in the center of the city to accomplish. I got confidence in you. So here's what I did. 
I entered us into a challenge. Whoa, you can either, you know, we can, we can do this, because I'm confident in this, all right? So um, this Christmas, I got a challenge for us to give to what we call our first gift project. I entered a challenge for us as a church, a little competition within ourselves, to give $3,000 this Christmas above our normal tithes and offerings. And so we partnered with an organization called Convoy of Hope. A Convoy of Hope is an organization that provides water filtration systems to villages in, in Haiti. And we're going to be providing clean water to those who are in, in need. Now, last year as a serve team, or just as a launch team, we gave almost $1,000 as our Christmas project. This year, I'm believing that we can do three times as much. And so it's time for us as a, as a church, as we come into Christmas, for us to be generous. And so we've got a little challenge, a little competition for us to be able to, um, to, be able to give to those who are in need. So um, what it looks like for us is uh, for $3,000, that's our big goal. Now, the breakdown looks like this. For 100 bucks, you can provide clean water for one family for their entire lifetime. The filters last um, 80 years. So this is what me and Ashley are going to do. We're going to give family to family. Me, Ashley, and Esther are going to give to one family in Haiti clean water forever. If you want to do family family, I think that's cool. Also, for 200 bucks, you can provide um, clean water for an orphanage, uh, 30 children. Or for $300, you can provide for one entire school, which is 80 children. So you know, maybe you can get together family to family, maybe with your missional communities, each person pitch in. But, you know, this year, we get to give the gift of life. So instead of, you know, giving that gift that they're going to, you know, have to return or the kids are going to forget about by February or the, the sweater that they won't like, this year we can give the gift of life. That clean water, one of the basic, simplest of needs for people to live, can change a life. And so when we give, everyone wins. Do you see what Paul's saying here? So the challenge for us, is, is to motivate us, to benefit us within our generosity. Because when we give, then everyone wins. And the next point that Paul makes is this, point eight. He says, generosity produces a harvest. This is what he says in six. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So, so, so what you put in, you you get out, okay? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So generosity is a heart issue. It's not just a financial issue. It's not just a money issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And also, it's a, it's a decision. It's a decision that you have to make. Nobody's going to make this decision for you, right? Nobody's going to walk in and hold you upside down, shake your pockets down. We're not going to do that, but you have to make the decision within your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, what? A cheerful giver. How, how can we be cheerful when we give? When we know that Jesus is the most generous. When we know that Jesus gave to us freely, he gave us his life, he gave us his love, he gave us the Bible, he gave us his Holy Spirit, that Jesus gives generous, and so we can be cheerful because we know in Christ we have received everything we need already. How many of you guys are excited when you pay bills? No? How many of you guys are excited come tax time? Anybody super excited paying your taxes? If you are, you need to be drug tested. Why are you not excited when you have to pay taxes in? Because they're taking from you. 
they're, they're taking from you. Why are you not excited when you're paying your bills? Because you're seeing as if you're losing something. But when we see the tithe is not a tax, we recognize God's not taking, God's giving. And that when we give, we're giving back to God what belongs to him. And so we can be cheerful when we give because it's a gift that God has already entrusted with us. So we can give cheerfully, we can give joyfully. And like I always say, when he gets the glory, then we get the joy from that. He writes on and he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's where we get our series title. So God's good work in the world through the, through the generosity of his people will change the lives of those we love and our very own lives. That God is at work in us through our generosity. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower, he being God, the sower being you, and he supplies bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Remember that word, righteousness. is very important. You will be enriched in every way. What does he say? He says, God's going to bless us. We're going to be enriched in every way. That God is going to pour out his goods to us. That we live in the most affluent society in all of human history. Why does God bless us? Is it so that we, we can live in luxury? What's he going to say next? So that people can see us, how gifted, how talented we are? So they can say, oh, those guys are awesome. What, why does God give to us? Why does God bless us? So we can spend it on ourselves? What does he say? What's the next word? What's the next word? We're blessed in every way to be what? Generous. In every way. Hallelujah. That God gives so we can give. That God blesses so we can bless. That God trusts us to be stewards of his resources through generosity. That God gives so we can give in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also an overflowing and many thanksgivings to God. So generosity is about sowing and reaping. And the result of that is that way we receive a harvest. But see, the harvest here is not a harvest of money. The harvest is what? A harvest of righteousness. See, this is one of the great evils done by those who teach prosperity theology. They would teach that if you give money, then you'll get money. But the seed might be money, but the harvest is a harvest of righteousness. So they say, if you give me $100, God's going to give you $10,000. And they teach you that, that the joys of life are found in the same pleasures of the world. And they would say, if you give, then I can buy my jet, I can fix my hair, I can get makeup, I can fly around the world. And they teach you that if you give, then you get. And that is absolutely wrong. That is wrong. And I believe that it, it takes advantage of, of people. It's an abuse of spiritual authority. It's abuse of scriptural authority for them to, to teach that way. It's absolutely wrong because, listen, any gospel that's truer in America than it is in China is a false gospel. So God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living, but he blesses us so that way we can distribute his seed as necessary so we can experience or reap a harvest. And so we don't believe in prosperity theology and the principles of sowing and reaping in that regards, but we do believe in sowing and reaping according to a generosity theology, which is... Stewardship. 
It's a basic stewardship for us that as God trusts us to distribute his resources, he gives to make sure the work is completed. It's a stewardship issue. And so you put your faith uh, first in God with your faith and your finances. You work hard, you save well, spend wisely. And as you are faithful, then God will be faithful. Let me give you an illustration of what this would look like. Let's say I have two kids, okay? And they're old enough to be able to run errands for the family. So I turn to one kid and I say, hey, um, we need milk, eggs, and bread. So the family needs some milk, eggs, and bread. Would you hop on your bike and would you, you know, run down to the store and go pick up some groceries for the family? Kid says, sure. I said, you know, I want to be a good dad. So I want to, so go pick yourself something up to you. Like get you a candy bar or Coke, but just make sure that you bring me back the change. So I give the kid the money, kid's gone, comes back later, milk, eggs, and bread, everything's fine, right? What'd you get? Oh, hey, I picked me up a Coke. Here's the change, Dad. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. So am I going to be willing to trust this kid the next time I send him to the store? Yeah, so I could even send them to the store to accomplish greater works. I can trust them. Say, hey, here's some, here's some of my money. Go pick yourself something up because I want to be a good dad. And so I say, hey, you know, grab your something. Come on back. Take care of the family. Now, let's say I have a, another kid, right? And I, I say the same thing to this child. Say, hey, here's 20 bucks. Same thing. Milk, eggs, bread. Run to the store. Go pick it up for us. So the kid goes, comes back about an hour, two hours later, and say, hey, buddy, where's the milk, eggs, and bread? And I'm like, well, you know, Dad, I was at the store, and I saw all this other stuff. So I just decided to buy that instead. So, what? Why would you do such a thing? Well, after I bought all these things, I didn't have enough money left over. You didn't give me enough. Well, no, I did give you enough, but you spent it. Okay? So let's try this again. All right? Here's 20 bucks. Run to the store. Milk, eggs, bread. Got it? Got it. Hour comes by this time. Video games, toys, and ice cream, and candy, and Cokes. And I'm like, hey, you know, where's, where's the groceries for the family? And the kid says, well, Dad, you know, you didn't give me enough again. It's like, no, I did give you enough, but you stole it. And, the, and so what am I going to do as a father? First, I'm going to discipline the kid, but then I'm going to go to the other kid and see if I can buy groceries for less than $40. I know I can trust. I'm going to bless. I'm going to give. I'm going to trust them with my work. And the other one is, is actually stealing. You're stealing from himself. He's, he's handcuffing the father's ability to pour into his life. He's handcuffing or he's stealing from the family because then the family goes without, but ultimately stealing from the Father. In Malachi, it says, will man rob God? How have we robbed you? You have robbed me with your tithes and your offerings. See, when we are unwise and foolish with our finances, we're stealing from ourselves because we're not able to receive the harvest that God promises us. We're stealing from the family of God, from the lost, the hurting, the suffering, the needs of the church, and we're also stealing from God himself. See, I know, you know, that we would say, of course, I want to be generous. I want to be generous. I want to give. I want to have the ability, but, but I can't because we're not free. We're not free because, you know, we're all in debt. And the average American spends $1.25 per $1 earned. Now, I'm not an economist, but I know that those numbers don't add up. And so we want to be free, but, but we don't know how. We don't know how. And, and so... I believe that generosity is God's work in your life. 
See, when it comes to our resources, when it comes to our finances, we always think that we need a change of income. I don't believe so. I believe we don't need a change of income as much as we need a change of our outlook. And this is what Paul is teaching us, that generosity is God's work in our lives. And so i got six ways I want to show you that generosity will change your life. The first way is this. Giving is worship. Okay? When you understand that giving is worship, that it's the way that we put God first in all of our lives, then we're able to trust him. And so worship is this. Anything that you, make, you glorify and you make sacrifices to. That's what worship is. And so what is it that you worship in your life? Is Jesus on the throne of your heart or is there idols that you still need dethroned? See, you can either see money as an idol or you can see money as a tool. Where does Jesus sit on your heart? Is he Lord of your life? Is he Lord of your finances? Is he Lord of your savings? Is he Lord of your family? So we see that Jesus is is God and so we worship God through our money. We don't worship our money as God. See, Jesus says no man can serve two masters. He will love one, hate the other. He says you'll either love God or you'll love money. He doesn't say you'll love Satan because that's too easy. He says we'll love God or we'll love money, but we can't love both. See, when we give, we're dethroning the idols of our hearts and we're using generosity as a tool to worship God with our money instead of worshiping money as our God. Giving is worship. The second way is it's God's work in your life is this. Giving protects us from temptations and habits. See, when you give, when you give first by trusting him with your tithe, when you give first, you don't have money left over for foolishness. And so generosity protects us from ourselves. And so when we give first, we're not wasting all of our money. It protects us from temptations. It protects us from bad habits. And it protects us from foolishness. Now, I've been a Christian for 11 years, and I've tithed for eight of them. And I can tell you, as I've stepped out in obedience, trusted God, he's always made a way. I don't know how it works, but he does it. And it always made a way. You know, I've never died. I've never, you know, gone without. Yeah, times have been tough. Yes, there's been months that have been extremely lean. But you know what? I'm still here. God's always made a way. And so giving protects us from ourselves. Thirdly is this, giving wins the war. Giving wins the war, okay? You and I, this this culture we live in is a war. That everything is teaching us, telling us, taking from us with all of the consumerism, the marketing, the advertisements that are happening all around us. Giving wins the war of materialism in our lives. Giving wins the war because when you, when you give, you're taking your eyes off of possessions and places and people and opinions, and you're trusting them by focusing on Jesus himself. So generosity wins the war of materialism. Fourthly is giving makes us healthy. It'll make you healthy because, you know, healthy with your physical health and your emotional health and your mental health. Because when you give, you're cheerful. Right? You're not stressed. You're not worried about your finances because you know that God is in control. So it produces health mentally, emotionally, and physically because you're cheerful and you have peace. And then fourthly, uh, 
fifthly is giving builds strong relationships. Because what happens when you give is you're, you're putting other people before yourself. And so you're able to love people by using money instead of using money or loving money to use people. Do you see? You're forced to put others' needs before yourself by showing them honor, by showing them generosity. And so it builds healthy and strong relationships. And sixthly, lastly is this, that giving produces a harvest of righteousness. Okay, so what does this word righteousness mean? Righteousness means right standing before God. But you and I, one day, we're going to stand before God, and we're going to have to give an account for how we lived our lives. Now, now in Christ, we have received righteousness, that he has distributed his righteousness for us. So when we stand before God, God sees Jesus. But we're still going to have to give an account for the way that we lived our lives. And when we give this account, that includes everything. How we lived our lives includes our finances. When we stand before God, what are we going to say? Hey, God, here's my Xbox. Right, take, take a look at that. God, here's the pictures for my vacation. Right, look at all the seashells I, I collected along the beach. When we stand before God, what are we going to show him? What are we going to give an account for the ways that we've spent, saved, and stewarded our lives? See, some people, they want all of their glory in this life. They want all of their treasures now. They want all of their promises now. They want all of their hopes now. But a true life, not wasted, is the one that lives for eternity to come. See, we're going to stand before him, and we're going to have to give an account for the way that we stewarded our resources. On that day, what are we going to say? Are we going to show God the glory that he's trusted us with? Are we going to live for his glory? Are we going to live for his purposes? Or are we living for our own? What is it that we value most in this life? And we give to the things that we worship. So generosity is not a money issue. Generosity is a, is a, is a gospel issue with financial implications. Because when we give, we're putting God first, and then more people get to experience the grace of God in their lives. And that's what it means by a harvest of righteousness. That the most important thing is that more people meet Jesus. The most important thing is the grace of God in our lives, through our lives. That the more we give, the more churches are planted, the more missionaries are sent, the more ministries are resourced, the more staffs are funded, the more opportunities for more people to meet Jesus. That's the harvest that God promises for us. The harvest of righteousness. Because in the end, that's the only thing that matters, is that more people meet Jesus, that God is glorified and his word and work is spread across the world. So generosity is about sowing and reaping. The more we trust in God, the more God trusts in us to distribute the resources he's given. Are we sowing with open hands? Because if you have open hands as you sow the seed, God's able to pour in. But if you're closed-handed, tight-fisted, God cannot bless you because your hands are closed to receive. So how do we sow? Are we sowing righteousness with open hands? Because when you have open hands to sow, you're also in the position to receive. Generosity is about sowing and reaping. Nextly, Paul says this, that generosity is evidence of your faith. This is what he says in 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of the submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for their needs while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing glory of God upon your life. So generosity is evidence of our faith. Randy Alcorn's a great Bible preacher, um, teacher, and he wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. 
It's a short book. It's small, but it's made a huge impact on my life when it comes to my stewardship and generosity. And in this book, he writes about the grace of God, and he explains it kind of like a thunderstorm. Now, we live in southeast Texas, right? Have you guys ever sat in a thunderstorm? You ever seen a thunderstorm? Right, okay. Um, So in the middle of a thunderstorm, lightning strikes. What follows? Thunder. Yeah, so he says God's grace is like lightning. God's grace strikes in our lives, and it lights everything up. How many of you guys, God's grace has struck in your life? I remember when I got saved, I didn't know it was coming. Just the moment it happened, I was like, man, I guess I believe now. God's grace struck in my life in an amazing way. Okay? And what follows God's grace like lightning? Thunder. What is the thunder of God's grace? The roaring applause of generosity in his people. That anywhere that grace strikes, generosity is sure to follow. I remember being a kid, I would go sit out on the back porch um, at, my, at my house, and when, when in the middle of a lightning storm, it would strike, and we'd count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three. Did you guys ever do that? You count. Because what? You know that however long you counted from the thunder, that's how far the lightning away was. Now, when grace strikes, generosity follows, but typically it takes a little bit longer. See, there's a lot of things in your life that God's still trying to work out. You're learning to trust him with his grace. You're learning to trust him, you know, with your temptations, with your repentance. You're learning to trust him in your family. You're learning to trust him at work. And there's a lot of things that God's still working out in us. But typically, the last thing to be redeemed about a person's life is their wallet. See, Martin Luther says it like this. He says exactly like that, that the last part of a person to get saved is their purse. And so God's working in us. Generosity will follow us. Has God's grace been good to us as a church? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're 10 months old. As a church, God's grace has been poured out upon us in amazing ways. We have people meet Jesus all the time. We have families who are being reconciled. We have people getting baptized. We have kids upstairs worshiping, loving. We have missional communities meeting all across the area, people in homes. God's grace has struck our church. 10 months later, it's time for the thunder of generosity to follow. And this is what he says. Listen to this. It's so important. He says this in 13. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel. So generosity is a discipleship issue. It's learning to trust God with every area of our lives. So if you're new redemption, like discipleship's kind of our thing. Like that's what we do. We exist to make disciples who Make disciples. And that's the great command that Jesus has has given us is to make disciples. And so our stewardship is our discipleship. What is the simplest definition of discipleship? Okay, Um, I'm going to try to condense 2,000 years of church history, theologians, dead guys, books, blogs, articles. I'm going to condense all of this discipleship into four words. I'm going to do my best. Okay, So people try to make it very complicated what it means to follow Jesus. They try to make it very difficult, very complicated, but really it's actually very simple. I'm going to give you four words for discipleship. You ready? To listen and obey. That's it. To listen and to obey. It's not, it's not hard. You say, God, you've spoken? Okay, I'm going to go do that. 
right, God, you've written a book called the Bible where you lay out your will and your way for me. I'm going to read it. I'm going to learn. And I'm going to do it. God, you speak to me through your spirit, through, through your people. Okay, yeah. Okay. Are you sure? God, are you sure? I don't know. Yes? Okay, good. To listen and to obey through your submission and your confession. See, it's a discipleship issue. It's a discipleship that we give, we serve, we love, and we do what Jesus says. See, is it simple? Absolutely. Is it hard? Heck yes. It is hard. It is difficult. I know. I know it's difficult. Why is it difficult? Because everything in this life seems to be saying the exact opposite. Everything in this life is fighting for your attention, is fighting for your money, is fighting for your time, your talents, your treasures. Everything is pulling against you. Everyone's stressed. Everyone's depressed. Everyone's discouraged. Everyone's freaking about about things that they cannot control. Everyone's in debt. Everyone's spending money they don't have to impress people they don't like with things they don't even want. Maybe we should try to do something different. Maybe we should just trust him and follow him and see where it leads us. It's a discipleship issue that we trust God in our lives, that we listen and that we obey. See, Jesus, before he went to the cross, before the crucifixion, he gave his disciples one last command. And in this last command, he says, I give you this new command to to love God and to love others. But do you know what he said after that? He says, and this is how people will know that you are my disciples. They will know that you are my disciples because of your love. Because of your love. That's how people are going to know that you are my followers. Now, love is not just what we say, what we think, what we feel. Ultimately, love is what we do. How people see us as followers of Jesus, and that includes our generosity. Listen, redemption, people will not agree with us on everything. As a church, um, not everyone's going to be happy that we are here. Okay, so, you know, we're, we're your basic Orthodox Christian church. There's nothing fancy or weird about us. Okay, so we preach the exclusivity of Jesus. We believe in the authority of the Bible. We teach the, the empowering and baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right, we're a little Baptist. We're a little Pentecostal. We've got some liturgical elements thrown in. We're like an ecclesiological mutt. Okay, like not everyone's going to be super stoked that we are here downtown. There will be people that will disagree with us. There will be people that will disregard us, try to divide us. There will be people who will deny us. They may deny our theology, but they will not deny our generosity. They will not deny the love that we have for both God and people. When people see our church, they say, I might not believe in God, but I do believe those people practice what they preach. They may say, I I, I may not follow Jesus, but I'm willing to work with them. If this church were to close tomorrow, would people miss us? That's a question that haunts me. This church will be known by its love. Love is more than what we say, more than what we think. Love is work. Love is what we do. Because the last thing that Paul says as he wraps up everything, the 10th and final principle is this. Generosity is about the glory of God. It's about the glory of God. This is what he says in 15. He says, but thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Okay, so it's coming up on the holidays. 
right? Thanksgiving is this week. It's a time that we surround ourselves with the people that we love the most. Christmas is coming up, right? It's a time that we celebrate the greatest gift that we have received. It's a time that we remember why we do all of this, why we gather, why we serve, why we worship. Because we have the greatest gift, God himself. See, when we recognize that God is the most gracious, God is the most good, and he has given us everything that we have, and the greatest gift that we have received is Christ himself, then it frees us to be generous. See, the point is, is you can't take it with you. That all of the things you freaked out about, all the things you're stressing over, all of the worry, all of the anxiety, everything that is happening, you're not taking it with you. That when you die, everything that you fought so hard for will wither away and will fade. But the glory of God will last forever. There is no U-Hauls on hearsts, okay? You can't take it with you. When you die, it gets left here. Do you know what the only thing we can take with us to heaven is? Other people. That's the harvest of righteousness we get, is other people. It's the reward that we store our treasures in heaven. And so the glory of God is the only thing that lasts forever. What are you living for in this life? Are you living for your own glory? Are you living for your own worship, for your own vanity? Are you living for stuff, for trinkets and toys that at the renewal of all things will be burned? Or are you living for the glory of God? That God's glory is, is manifest on display in all of this universe. That he is our greatest treasure. He is our greatest hope. That Jesus is enough for us. He is glorious. And that for that aim, for that goal, that is why we live. Because this life is short. Guys, this life is a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But when you give, whatever you have, when it's in Jesus' hand, is touched with eternity. What is it that we live for? What is it we strive for? What is it we give for? We give because of the glory of God. And see, know this, that when you give, God gets the glory and you get the joy. That is for God's glory and the good of others. And when he is glorified, then we are joyful. Do you need joy? Generosity is a way for us to experience the fullness, the grace, and the joy of God. So for us as a church, I believe that 2017 is a year for us to step into generosity. I believe that God's grace has struck our church in amazing ways, and it's time for the thunderous applause of God's generosity through us in this city. See, we as a church, we have three core values. These are the things that we operate based off of as a church. They are Christ-centered, community-crafted, and audaciously generous. So Christ-centered. As long as I'm your pastor, I stand on this pulpit, and I preach the Bible, you're going to get Jesus. That's all you're going to get. Lots and lots of Jesus. Okay, that, that's my thing. So we just talk about Jesus. So as long as I'm your pastor, this church will remain Christ-centered. Community crafted. How are we doing on that end? We're doing pretty well. We have people who meet in homes across the city. They read their Bibles together. They eat good food. We, we, we try to support local organizations, causes through you know, coat drives or first gift. We are a community crafted church. But audacious generosity is the one that typically takes a little bit longer to develop. It's a culture that we have, to, we have to steward. It's a culture that we have to create. And it's a legacy that we will one day pass down to our children. 
to our church and to our city. I believe that 2017 is the year that we step into audacious generosity. And so we're going to work to that end as a church leading into Christmas. And so here's my challenge for us as a church, because we don't just hear the word, we want to be able to do the word. We're not just raising awareness, we're trying to call into action. So here's my challenge for us as a church. First is make a budget. Make a budget and stick to it. We have budget forms available for you online, or you can grab one at the Connect Desk. I believe we have a couple available still. Make a budget, because if you don't make a decision, if you don't make a plan, then you will be unable to do it. That's a key factor in our stewardship. So make a budget and stick to it. Second, I want to challenge you to start tithing, to take that step in obedience to give the first 10% of your goods and your increase. Give your first 10% to God. Okay? And I would tell you in this, give first. Give first. Don't give last. Because if you give last, you're not going to have anything left over. And then if you do, we don't want to offer God our leftovers. We want to give God our best. So make a plan to give first. I would challenge you to start tithing. Take that step in obedience to what God says. And then lastly, join us for our first gift. Go above and beyond. Practice audacious generosity. Practice grace giving. Let's join together on our first gift to be able to bless those who are without. Because remember, we're the Corinthians in this section. We're the Corinthians. God has poured out his grace upon us. We are in a position to distribute his seed and receive the reward of righteousness. Now, some of you in this room, as we call the band up and we're wrapping up, some of you in this room, you, you may not be Christians. And you may say, or you may be a guest, and you're like, I had to come on the money series, okay? This is a great time for you because I want you to see the generosity that we have received in Jesus. See, God doesn't want anything from you. God wants for you to give you, give him your sin. That the generosity of Jesus saves us, washes away all of our sin. He gives us his best. If we give our worst, our sin, our shame, our separation, God gives us his best, being himself. The greatest gift we have is Jesus. And so because of Jesus, we get the opportunity to be generous. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.